Well, hello and welcome back to the second Monkey See Monkey Review podcast of 2021. And I have people with me this time. So uh, if you've not listened to the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast before, welcome. Come in, make yourself at home. If you have listened to MSMR before, welcome back. It's lovely to see you again. Uh, I'm Scott and each time I'm joined by one or more members of the Monkey Sea family to talk about what we've been watching, including recent releases, those things flying under the radar and from time to time some all-time classics. Uh, we also have a little chat about the ever-shifting landscape of film and on occasions defend maligned, overlooked or underappreciated movies as well as our regular pitch battles and our always expanding Tracks of the Trade movie score playlist. I am joined today by two such wonderful gentlemen that are familiar with the podcast and, if you've listened to it before, will be familiar to you. First of all, uh, Mr. Christopher Commander. Hello. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm very well, and I'm glad to be back. Yes. Um, so this, this is my Happy New Year to all of you lot listening. Happy New Year to you as well, Chris. Are you excited you. for 2021? I'm very excited. I'm just excited to 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 do more things. Yes. I just want to. I just want to. I'm forcing myself to be more creative. Yes, that's a very very positive thing to do. And over the other end of the interwebs, we have the wonderful Mr. Kevin Haney. Hello there. Happy New Year, Chris. Happy New Year, Scott. How are you both? Good to hear your voices again. So all we do now is hear each other's voices, which is nice. It's like it's nice to not be on like a jumpy Zoom call. I like actually. I think people appreciate in the same way the written word in letters has become quite fashionable again. I think people definitely just talking to each other in an audio fashion, which is why podcasts are probably getting more and more popular, isn't it? It's because it's quite nice just to hear the voices and not see jumpy images. Absolutely. And uh, you know, if you are a newcomer to the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast, that's what we try to do. We just try to have nice conversations about the films. Almost like you're having a chat with your mates around the table in the pub. Yeah, listen to our dulcet tones as you <laughs> drift off yeah. to the toilet or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not listen to us in bed as we go, as you go to sleep <laughs> in the wee smalls? As uh, a mutual friend of mine and Chris, uh, Nate, if you listen to us, Nate, hello. Uh, hey. He described us as having rich, gentlemanly voices. So, you know, that's, that's good enough for me. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'll take yeah. that. It's almost as good as uh, Alan Partridge's uh, description of Roger Moore's wonderful brown voice. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So we, uh, for this episode, are going to be looking at a few of the latter releases from the end of 2020 and uh, beginning of 2021. We're going to be talking about our top three films of uh, 2020, and then we're going to be looking forward to the unpredictable year ahead of us of 2021 and looking at some of the things that we're hoping will be released into cinemas and hoping that we'll be able to go and see them in cinemas uh, before the end of the year so stick around for some of that so we are going to roll on with some of our reviews the first one we're going to come to it was released just before christmas on netflix uh it's ma rainey's black bottom uh, it's directed by george c wolf and based on the play by august wilson and starring the absolutely fabulous Viola Davis and the late, great Chadwick Boseman in his final role. Uh, now, I believe both me and Kev have seen this. 
Yes, well, you'd be correct. I have seen it, and I take it you have, so that's a yes. full house. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So just to give a little bit of background, it was produced by Denzel Washington. Uh, now, it feels like it has a lot of the same sort of DNA to uh, the last August Wilson film that Denzel Washington was involved in, which was uh, the brilliant Oscar-nominated Fences uh, now, they both come from the stage plays, but uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom takes place over the course of a day with the recording of uh, Ma Rainey's album and uh, the relationships between her and her band, which includes uh, Chadwick Boseman's Ambitious Trumpeter. Now, Kev, how did you find it? How did I find it? Well, obviously, you've mentioned that it came from a play, and I think that's the best and possibly kind of like most hindering thing about it is that it does feel very much like a plane and that's not necessarily a bad thing and there were several points during it because the thing that a play when put onto film does is it kind of like you get kind of like a claustrophobic feel which works quite well with this because it takes place during a recording session um, and it's that kind of thing where it's it feels very intimate and you often get actors in that mindset going to places that they may not have gone before and there were several points particularly with Boseman where I thought there we go that's the Oscars that's the Oscar clip they're going to play and then I was like oh no here's another one no that's the Oscar clip they're going to play oh no that's the Oscar clip and sometimes even though there's a claustrophobic feel to it you sometimes get more room for an actor to kind of like show their art show their skill and absolutely I think that the advantages of it being like a play um or or feeling like a play um were certainly evident with that certainly with uh, with Boseman and to a lesser extent Viola Davis but um it did feel like it needed a little bit more and they tried to do sequences where they were out on the street there was a bit at the start that obviously kind of like they only speak of in the play um that I mean, it's just like kind of like minor car accident they speak of in the play but they don't actually show whereas you kind of get the feeling that the filmmakers were very much like okay what, what did we get see an opportunity to go outside and have this conversation let's do that okay we, we see we can open with the big sprawling chicago skyline and we'll kind of okay we'll do that and then we'll kind of bring it down to the recording studio so you can see points where they were trying to do that and the more they tried to do that the more of the recording studio session seemed more probably claustrophobic than it would have been if you'd have been watching it on stage if that makes sense yeah i think that claustrophobia works quite well because there is that that sort of heightening of tensions yeah and everyone's sweaty throughout. and yeah yeah it, yeah sweaty and aggravated <laughs> with one another I just I, I do have to mention Viola Davis because I thought uh, you know, Chadwick Boseman was great fireworks in it and was as you say it was the Oscar clip but she just had this this real sort of gravity and centered to the film she was really formidable yeah in the role but then you there, there was a moment when she she takes that time with her her band leader uh, talks about what she needs to do and, and how she needs to conduct herself to be able to do the things that she does being a black woman in that time. And you realise at that moment that all of this front that she has, she's she's really forceful and she's really, uh, she's, she's demanding, but she has to be like that to to be able to make it in the world that she is performing in. Uh, and I thought that was really that was really interesting. It was just that that moment of it's almost human moment for her when the rest of the thing she's she's been this this kind of force of nature that everybody's uh, a little bit scared of. Yeah, I mean it's quite she's quite an unlikable character I'd probably say. But then as time goes on, you kind of warm to her. But then you obviously you can see in the way she carries herself and the way she talks that, that yeah. she's obviously been through a lot in order to get to this point. And it's it's yeah it it, it no it's certainly great. It's, it's a kind of like a 
I, I suppose a kind of like a big like snapshot of what it must have been like for musicians, especially in that time yeah. in, in America, especially with like with African American um, performers, basically in in this kind of area. This being one of the only actual outlets where unfortunately that they were respecting in uh, respected in or had the upper hand in absolutely and you can see that with the producer can't you and the producer's doing everything because he knows how amazing and the quality of this and if he could just get a recording of it all he wants to do is get a recording of it and there are many kind of like almost like comedic turns as to why they can't get this thing down yeah you know, which is great it is it is and there is, I, you know, not to give too much away, but talking about that idea of, of the black musicians' place in America at that time, that there is, there's a really sort of bitter grace note to the film that's that's quite a quite a hard gut punch at the end. But, uh, but yeah, so it's it's interesting to see that story play out throughout the, the course of it. But yeah, I I found it I found it very very impressive. Again, one of the things as you alluded to, Kevin, in terms of the kind of staging of it and with it being adapted from a play is there were moments that the performances felt stagey they felt like they were performing in a theater to a certain extent that they almost had that freedom of of performing on stage and so that lent itself to the performances a little bit which lent it that slightly stagey quality which sort of draws you out of the film a little bit but at the same time the performances were were so so good uh, and it's a really worthwhile hour and a half of anybody's time uh, definitely definitely a highlight uh, as late in the year for me yeah i mean if not in the technical categories it will certainly uh, deserves all of the performance acclaim that's probably coming its way Definitely. I would agree with you 100% on that one. So following not long after Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix, uh, we, we got a new Clooney. Now, we've mentioned it in the last episode that The Midnight Sky was on its way out. and It was released on the 23rd of December, just before Christmas, if you were needing uh, a respite from all the festive fare. Uh, so, as I say, directed by George Clooney and starring him. Uh, also with Felicity Jones and David Oyelowo, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, Carl Chandler, set in the near future where there has been a, it's kind of an unspecific global event uh, occurring and George Clooney is left on his own in an Arctic base to essentially try and make contact with a returning spaceship that has been exploring the galaxy for new places for humans to live so kev you've seen uh you've seen the midnight sky i have indeed yes yes um how did you find it i found that i called it in the right mood because i um i watched it the day that it appeared on netflix because i was looking forward to it for quite some time yeah uh and i watched it without any kind of even real kind of knowledge as to what it was about i'd just seen the trailers and everything i hadn't read any of the subject matter or synopsis or anything like that uh and um i hadn't read any of the reviews more importantly because what i did notice was as soon as i finished watching it and having having enjoyed it um i wouldn't say it was groundbreaking because i do find that george clooney's directorial he's he's direction uh direction based films the films where he's been a director is what yeah. i'm trying to say um are essentially uh quite hit and miss i loved confessions of a dangerous mind which was his debut mm-hmm. really live uh really loved uh, good night and good luck um and then you get into the air your suburbicon areas and everything like that and it kind of i would probably say is George Clooney is a guy that I think is an amazing actor. I respect him. He's placed in Hollywood. What he's done as a producer has been absolutely amazing as well. But when it comes to him behind the camera, sometimes you don't really know what you're going to get. Yeah. And 
Uh, and I found that because that was the only kind of expectation I went in with, I enjoyed it a lot more than people I seem to have spoken to have received it, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah. I found that the story was, it was good in the same sense as I love a science fiction film generally, your sunshines, your moons, um, interstellar, all those kind of ones where it, it's not about what's going on. And I think the problem with it appearing on Netflix two days before Christmas, starring George Clooney, and it even so much as like the, the pictures that were coming up on my Netflix and the way the trailers kind of put together, it kind of says something about it that it's not. And I think a lot yeah. of people went in expecting a rip roaring, almost action epic set yeah. in space. And with exception of one very well executed sequence, uh, probably about midpoint of the film. Um, I would say that it's one of those, let's sit back, let's chill, let's think on life and the world. And that's what I like from my science fiction. Yeah, I like yeah. my Blade Runners. I'm not so much a fan of my Total Recalls in that sense. I mean, Total Recall, the film, not the story. Yeah. But do you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing where a lot of people, and I think the way it was more kind of marketed, and the fact that it was the Christmas release. I mean, if you look at Netflix, generally before Christmas, they always put something large up. So if you go back two years, what was it, the Will Smith um bright bright yeah that was it that was a big deal at the time because it was like look netflix is 100 percent. they've gone behind this they produced it they've not just bought it from somewhere this is netflix have given the money the directors can do whatever they want with it and whatever mm. your opinion of bright was it delivered on the kind of like hey this is big and loud and will get you through the christmas blockbuster kind of feel that you need whereas yeah. the midnight sky has more going on than that that's Definitely. not to say that the midnight sky is one of the better science fiction films i don't think it is in my opinion but I think that because it was mismarketed, I'm prepared to give it more credit than a lot of people have been. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you on, on a number of the points there. I think uh, particularly that, it, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that's a bit different from the expectation. I do think that there were moments in it that felt a little bit like some of the movies that you, you mentioned there. So you're in Stellar's your gravities, your ad astra to a certain degree, the moon, that there was a lot in there that felt like it almost had almost borrowed a little bit from other films and the sunshines as well. Yeah. That there that there felt like there was there was a familiarity with that sort of almost real feeling space travel that we've seen in a lot of a lot of movies recently. Uh, again, I agree with you that it's not one of the the great science fiction films of the last few years, but it was it it was very good in terms of doing something a little bit different, and it has a really kind of lovely grace note at the end. Again, not to spoil anything, but it's the thing that kind of ties the whole film in together. That you you literally need to stay with the film until the very very last reel to to kind of squeeze everything that you need to out of it. Yeah, I think also as well, is, is you can tell, in the same way you could tell Ma Rainey comes from a play, you could tell that this was a book. And you kind of yeah. get that kind of element. But I feel if someone behind the camera, maybe, for example, Steven Soderbergh, like behind the camera working with Clooney again, because they did, I don't know if you saw the underrated and not very well... Um, not very well received because it was a remake but Solaris did you guys see Solaris I didn't see Solaris no. so if you look at that look at it's basically Clooney in space um with Soderbergh behind the camera and yeah. that that was so well done so well executed it almost gives it like a little hint as to what this could have been you know yeah. and that kind of thing and maybe if Clooney hadn't taken on everything maybe if he'd been in front of the camera not behind it then it might have been a more assured film in that respect yeah, I think there's there's one thing that I I will say about Midnight Sky is 
it did look absolutely glorious. I mean, it was shot beautifully at points. I, you know, even on my piddling little telly, <laughs> I watched it on. There were moments, you know, with with some of the landscapes and one of the, some of the space shot sequences that, uh, that were really, really nicely done. Um, I think it almost falls into. Although I think Ad Astra is a is a better film. Yeah, by far. And I think, uh, and I think Ad Astra is. I think probably underappreciated uh, in a lot of quarters, but I think that's because it, it that was lumped it. I would lump that in a similar in a similar way to Midnight Sky in that they were both mismarketed as being these rip roaring uh, science fiction adventures, yeah. where actually they are more of a meditation on human life and, and relationships. Yeah, and I, um, I get the feeling that people going to see um, Ad Astra in in the cinema would have made that extra effort to find out a little bit more about it before seeing it, rather than yeah. just flicking it on and then going, "Oh, that wasn't what I thought it would be." Then again, maybe yeah. they would have been a little bit angry at the film if they'd paid to go and see it in the cinema. Yeah, and I think that there is an element of that because there, I know, I know one of the criticisms levelled at Ad Astra is, is around kind of the, the final third of the film and where the film goes, but that's that's a, a different discussion for a different day. But I yeah, I, I still found it a, a very, very effective film. So moving on from some more meditative fare into something a lot more exciting in comic book and Christopher. Yes. This is one that I believe you've seen. Uh I have indeed. Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, which yeah. Was released WW84. Indeed, which was released officially into UK cinemas on the 16th of December. And then we went into the different increasing tiers and then progressively into a lockdown. So the opportunities to see Wonder Woman 84 have been incredibly limited. But you, you managed to sneak in and, and catch it. I did catch it. The interesting thing is it, it sort of... It felt like one of those movies that that was gonna suffer from having a theatrical release while we're going through all of this stuff at Christmas. Yeah. But it's been distributed in in kind of a clever way in terms of all the DC fandom that they did and HBO Max, um, and it's turned out to be one of the highest grosses of the year, I think. Um, and so and so. Yeah, so I saw it, and um, it, it being the follow-up to the 2017 Wonder Woman, also directed by Patty Jenkins, uh, so a woman at the helm, as we all love, and um, it was, to put it in its sort of, like, base, because it, it's it's more complicated than sort of it feels, because it feels very much this superhero film that is a, an escapism sort of kind of feeling to it especially during the current climate and so it's got it's got gal gadot in it it's got chris pine in it it's got christian wig in it um pedo pascal is in it um who i have become a massive fan of because of mandalorian uh he's sort of been my sort of go-to over the course of the past couple weeks um and it really is so it brings us back if well technically brings us forward from the first film, still technically a prequel to Justice League in terms of timeline. Um, and it brings us into the into the 80s uh, and to see uh, a different world that Wonder Woman is living in, working as a in, in a in a lovely museum. She's got her job. She's looking at artifacts and knowing all things about artifacts that 
people are surprised that she knows, but she's been around forever, so why wouldn't she know? <laughs> um, and she's she's pine. Oh, here we go. She's pining after her last love, uh, Chris Pine. Um, <laughs> Drop the pun. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> terrible, wasn't it? It was terrible. Um, and it's it's kind of a a, a good feel kind of film. Um, it's hard not to talk about spoilers because the addition of Chris Pine obviously everyone knows at this point um he is in the film um as as steve as he was in the first film with a little bit of a twist which i know some people have taken umbrage with but i thought i thought they integrated it in an interesting way there's a classic sort of superhero giver kind of object that the villain and uh, the the heroine is is trying to either protect or claim for themselves yeah, do you mean do you mean a MacGuffin or a MacGyver there? <laughs> I mean a MacGuffin. I like the idea of... Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Just put a bunch of stuff together and that's what you get. Um, I've got MacGyver on the brain. Yes. Um, also a very good television show for those of you listening. Yes. Um, but yes, a MacGuffin. Um, and it's in the form of this crystal that grants wishes. That's it, that's it cause and that's its point it causes wishes but with one caveat which is that it will also take something away from you that you love dearly in order to fulfill this wish i think there's there's a mention of a sort of loki kind of character in terms of not not like mcu loki but the idea of a mischievous god who has created this object so it 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 comes with a trick uh, a monkey's paw kind of thing and um, I think that I think that's said at one point. The the film suffers a little bit from the whole oh look we're in the eighties, but and, and that kind of nostalgic, heart tuggy stringy kind of thing. But I don't think they do it in 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 such a bad way. They do it through the eyes of Chris Pine's character who is dealing with being in the nineteen eighties, which he's not yeah. from. And so you know you've got your like the American fanny packs and that's sort of a joke. Um, I know, you can't say that over here, can you? Um, and so uh, for us over here, bum bags. <laughs> um, you, uh, so, so you get to see it through his eyes. And so it's sort of a meta commentary on the fact that, yes, we kind of know this is a joke and we kind of know we're in the 1980s, but to get away with these jokes, we're doing it through the eyes of a character who this is alien for. So that's, I, I, I forgave it for that. Um, it really is kind of a cookie cutter kind of superhero film it's very sort of relaxing the stakes don't feel incredibly high refreshing sometimes Um, there is one moment in it that christian wiggs character everyone's affected by by the stone in some way not giving much away that's the idea um and there's one moment in it that she um she stands up for herself as a woman in in the 1980s walking through dc and um, at one moment, I did sort—I had a bit of a gasp, because it's quite brutal what happens. And I went, "Wow, that that took a turn." But that is kind of the point of that little scene. Um, but it wasn't just sort of like you know, ah, oh, punch him up, pow, wapo kind of thing. Um, it was a moment that I went, "Okay, maybe this is going to turn dark." Like it—it it never gets to the point that it's—it's it's so dark. It feels yeah. unjustified. Um, it is an escape film. Uh, it was it was really fun to watch. Um, there are there are there are problems with it, but I literally don't think 
they're important enough yeah. to go into because it's just sort of a film that exists as a bit of fun. I don't think it was as good as the first film, but I think that's just because the stakes can't be that high. They they had to be sort of localized. I think if that you, makes you sense. struggle with stakes for a Wonder Woman film set prior to Batman versus Superman and Justice League because we we already oh, sure. know that the character is you know she survives because uh, because she, she's there right, um, right. so right. I think sort of balancing stakes is is quite a difficult thing when you're when you're doing a sequel it's also a prequel to other films still to come it absolutely um, patty jenkins really sort of like made the first film like yeah. she wanted to make it and good for her sticking up for herself because mm-hmm. she really did to get some of the stuff in that first film um i struggle with some of the stuff in the first film because i was so i was so prepared um for like this sort of like gung-ho wonderful beautiful amazonian warrior um doing her kind of for lack of a better term like a woman thing she's dealing with the fact that she then comes to a, a society where she's not treated like a human and that's sort of like the message of the point uh the message of the film um and then she gets to the end where she's kind of not she's not gonna win in the end and then the love of a good man gives her the strength to win and i sort of lost i felt like it sort of lost the message right at the end i was totally with it up until the end but this one this one has um this one doesn't sort of beat around the bush in terms of of what it is which i really appreciated it starts out on a on a on a pretty high note and ends uh on a nice sort of like hopeful note and uh it's a message to the world there is a moment where the entire world is affected by something that happens in the film and uh it's down to human uh, nature that can either destroy them or mm. rescue them. So there's a lovely message of sort of hope at the end. And yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful fan service bit in it, which did make me squeal a little bit because as soon as they, they started the scene, I was like, please, I don't know how you do this. And I don't care that you have to justify it in a weird superhero way. I want you to do it. I want you to do it. Please do it. And they did it. So I will ruin don't, it for you. So for the next 10 seconds. No, you're not, oh, you're not want allowed to. to. So we, have, we have spoiler things. <laughs> okay. There's, there's a, there's, yeah. Yeah, a klaxon. No klaxon, because no spoilers. Um, there's a moment in the film that made me my 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 superhero uh, love squeal. Like my little vein in me just went. <laughs> um, okay. So I won't say what it is, but it's it's about halfway through the film, and it, it's kind of worth watching. Just now, part of the reason I'm I'm putting putting down the ban hammer on the on the spoilers is because i haven't seen it yet so uh yeah so ah, I- yes good point good point yes no it did make me squeal in it it's not important to the film but it'll, it'll make you go oh yeah <laughs> okay it's something that it's something okay wait i'll give you a teaser it's something that um in terms of the world of what wonder woman came from in in the in the Zack snyder sort of world that they were building these dark sort of grounded characters you thought like okay. they'll never do this and they do they do it in this film okay. and i'm so excited okay so in as a wrap-up um yes there are problems with it the stakes aren't as high as the first film it's hard to do that as you said it's a, it's a justifiable thing um there's a big world threat there's a big baddie um who he, he does a brilliant job by the way um he's he's it's awesome to watch him chew the scenery um and yeah, i think pedro pascal's a damn good actor yeah so, and yeah. and it's interesting because his character is really sort of a stock baddie character and he does he does so well with it 
And so, yes, uh, when it comes down to it, it is a thrill, sort of fun adventure escapist film that I think doesn't pretend to be something that it's not. And I really appreciated the honesty in it. And it was just fun. Brilliant. Does it, um, did it feel like two and a half hours? Um, no. You know what? It didn't. It went really fast. The, I'm, I'm thinking of like key scenes and I don't remember it feeling slow at any point. A lot of the DC, like a lot of the, the, the levy at the DC, a lot of criticism is usually like, ah, oh, running time's too long. I mean, to be fair, I mean, most of the Marvels are yeah. a little bit too uh, too heavy on the running time. But um, yeah, it seems that because when I think of... Um, there's so much happening in it and so many characters to sort of follow. It's a fast-paced film and it stays pretty fast-paced throughout the entire thing. Um, there's a couple moments of reflection, but they feel they feel pretty earned. Um, and so, no, I didn't... I. I didn't blink an eye oh, love. at the runtime. Brilliant. Which is only 10 minutes longer than the original Wonder Woman, and that flew by. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Terrific. Well, I look forward to catching yeah. that, which I think is on pr- premium on demand. It will be, yes. So yes. from the 13th of January, so by the time this podcast is released into the world, so will Wonder Woman 1984 be released onto premium video on demand. Now, premium on demand, which means it will probably clock in at somewhere between 15 and 20 pounds. Will you be paying that, Scott? Um... I confess to, on this occasion, probably not. Chris, is it worth us paying premium on demand or maybe waiting until it at least drops in price slightly? I I, I would say wait. Okay, then. I would say wait. I don't think it's spectacular enough to afford that. Lovely, lovely. Okay. Brilliant. Thanks, man. Fantastic. So, speaking of brand new films that probably could have been put onto the, the premium video on demand thing is uh, the christmas day release on disney plus now we have mentioned this a couple of times because i think you might be able to tell we've been quite excited about it but uh, the new pixar soul was released on uh, disney plus on christmas day as i say and mm-hmm. uh, i think uh, is it just me and kev that have seen that this this time around yeah i'm very so so there we go so here's your turn not to do spoilers thank <laughs> That's you very fine. much we um I will watch it soon. Though. I think I think in this in this instance you can do this film justice without too many spoilers. Actually, uh, Ooh, good. so it's uh, directed by uh, the current head of Pixar, uh, Pete Doctor, formerly of Inside Out and Up, as well as co-director Kemp Powers, who is also involved in writing the screenplay, and tells the story of Joe, a music teacher and aspiring jazz musician, who on the day of his a uh, big audition for a famous jazz singer and uh, jazz musician finds himself in the afterlife. And that's as far as I'm kind of going to go on the, the story side of things. <laughs> so uh, I think what we're basically saying is, is this does for the afterlife what Inside Out may have done for emotions. Absolutely. I think that's... So it's that kind of way, really. So we're talking about, just to cut right through to it, not talking about story performances or technical aspects or anything. It's that kind of thing that you might show it to a child as a gateway into like a conversation about something like this. Now, here's a really interesting thing that I, I think you mentioned showing it to a child as a gateway. I felt like Soul was actually more grown up as an experience, as a film. I, I felt like adults would get more out of it than maybe a child would because there's a lot of sort of metaphysical talk in there. And, yeah. and a lot of the concepts in there are more complex than you would expect from an, a Disney animated movie. Um, 
which I'm all for. I think that's a, a really, really, really positive thing because it has so much to say about about life, about death, around uh, destiny, around fulfilling one's desires and fulfilling one's ambitions. And the the experience of, of living, the experience of life, it actually speaks more about that. And I, I think that's a really, really effective thing that Pixar do is that they take these concepts of, you know, right back to, to Up, which took the concept of death and spun something beautiful in just the first 15 minutes uh talking about growing up and forgetting things from the childhood and managing emotions and how we develop those emotions if we grow up in inside out again pixar as, as a studio i think balance these things and, it, and they do it in a lot of their other films as well in in smaller ways is they take these concepts and the idea of what it means to be human and they put a really interesting, exciting, funny, emotional spin on it. You could also also take what I said around up around uh, around the idea of the concept of death and remembrance uh, through Coco as well, which again was another absolutely beautiful film. And I think when particularly of late when they've been on their original film course, right? You know, the sequels I think largely have been very good, but when they've been putting their talents into new original stories i think they are getting progressively better and better uh yeah i i, I don't think i think soul is is no exception in that uh, i found it absolutely joyful uh it was very 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 funny in places very heartfelt and wonderfully thoughtful about about kind of the idea of, of as we said around sort of destiny and fulfilling one's ambitions yeah i don't i, I don't know if it's that it kind of hit because he's talking about the the fact that it deals with complex themes i think like all of mm. pixar nearly all of pixar's output yeah. original films especially like you're saying maybe not so much toy story because i can't really you know relate to what it's like to be a toy but when it comes to, uh, yeah, like you say, soul, inside out, all of those ones, I think that the themes have been as, if not more complex in other Pixar fare. But I think this one seems to have particularly resonated, uh, resonated, resonated with you hmm. uh, to the point where you kind of think, because I think if you literally break it down again, I think there is as much for the kids to enjoy oh, as absolutely. there are the adults. And you could take you could take it at face value. You can even enjoy all the lovely shapes and colours. I remember Pete Doctor was in an interview I heard recently was talking about the actual most complex thing of Soul was doing the 2D animation with the 3D yeah. animation. That was like one of like the te- in the same way that kind of like Brave. That was like the it was about hair, yeah. wasn't it? It was all about the hair in Brave and the Incredibles and everything. Whereas technically, what they've done in Soul, you wouldn't notice it as a casual viewer. But the fact that you're watching it, and I, I did, I will say, I thought that the 2D versus the 3D animation, the sequences when they were together, it was something that I felt I'd never seen before, and I thought yeah. that was amazing. And and I, and I feel that Soul is, I I don't think there's anything more in Soul than you would find in i don't mean i mean i i don't mean like i mean in, in relation to sort of like you know the gravity yeah. of stuff i don't think there's, there's anything more complex in soul than you would find in inside out or more complex in soul than you would find in the opening minutes of uh up and it's that kind of thing where i think pixar works so well but it seems to have certainly resonated yeah. with you because i feel that if i was a child watching this i would feel a sense of oh great this is wonderful because you know what life's for living it's not about responsibility it's not about what you've achieved it's about living each day as you you know as Absolutely. it comes whereas 
from the other side of it, when you're our age, you look back at it and you're actually like, hey, you know what? This is great because the film's almost given permission to say, you know what? Don't stress, just yeah. enjoy things. And it's weird. So I think it's all to do with perspective. But I think, I mean, if you look at the character, I mean, the cat in it is absolutely amazing. It was yes. one of the highlights. I think that there's there's enough in it to for it to just be up there with some of the the, the yeah. great Pixar films, I think, because the, the multi-level humour that Pixar does, nobody no. does it like Pixar. And and I think that uh, I don't think there's anything more complex or uh, anything groundbreaking in that respect in Soul that we haven't seen or we didn't come to trust um, with Pixar films. In I the would, past. I'm, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you on that. I don't think I don't think it was any more complex. I just felt that the delivery and dealing with some of the the idea idea around some of the metaphysical concepts in it were were slightly more grown up. I think it's. It, it's so accessible and it's so enjoyable to it would be so enjoyable to everybody i just felt as a you know as an adult watching it that there that there was a lot that yeah did resonate with me i think um particularly some of the early things where joe's looking back on his life not to give too much away but there's 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 a real kind of about you well the film. <laughs> i think i think uh, uh, i I watched that moment with with kind of real sadness and a real recognition that actually you look back on yeah. these things and you, you you think about where you've come to this point and if you if you took it in those mo you know those isolated moments as happens in the film it might feel a little empty and a little sad and a little bleak feeling uh, but that's where the the kind of the joy of the film comes is that it starts to color in all those those bits between those moments so yeah i i mean i i found it absolutely wonderful uh just such a, a great just a great experience yeah i think yeah it, and it certainly shows that pixar can every time they release a film i'm expecting it to be the one that misfires and even a pixar misfire if you were to say i mean you, you spoke in your last podcast of onward i think onward is certainly the weaker of the two pixar films that were released in 2020 but that's still head and shoulders above most of the other output yeah from other i think there's 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 no there's no two ways about it i think uh, onward i'm a big fan of and i think that it told a fun story very effectively with that beautiful conclusion uh, whereas whereas I, I, soul i feel has more kind of texture to it and has more going for it so yeah, yeah. I, again like you say even kind of the weaker the weaker pixels the, the not so much cars too because that, that's the one film that i do think is in their output that i've seen that i would class as as a weak film other than that i think even the the weaker ones are still interesting that I'm not so much of a huge fan of The Good Dinosaur, but I appreciate there's some lovely moments, lovely concepts, and it looks just incredible. Uh, it's almost photo real in its animation at points. It's it's really effective. So, like you say, you you're almost expecting the misfire to come, but I think such is their quality control within the studio and within kind of the, that central production team. Uh, that have that experience of working for all these years for the company, I think they're not afraid to pull films that they don't feel are working. You know, Toy Story 2 had that where they it was being primed for a release for uh, video. Uh, uh, Disney used to do straight-to-video releases of their sequels, like Aladdin 2 and Revenge of Jafar, and Toy Story 2 was heading in that direction, but the 
the production team at Pixar had such pride over the work that they did that they didn't want to put their name to this and they essentially reinvigorated the whole film and we got uh, an absolutely amazing second film they've they've dropped films from their they've dropped films from their slate what, that aren't working they've gone back and they've retooled films uh, that aren't working i mean inside out was one that went through so many different uh, writing drafts and they weren't cracking it and it was one of my one of my favorite stories around this is that Pete Doctor in the writing was still trying to unlock that thing that was not quite working with the film and they'd paired up joy and fear and it just wasn't clicking and he went away from that meeting feeling like he was going to lose his job over this and started thinking about the sadness he'd feel leaving this job that he'd worked in for years and the that effect that that would have on him and all of a sudden that clicked with him that all of a sudden the this idea that sadness is is something that is absolutely integral and he essentially went back for for the the meeting asked for more time pitched the idea that they were going to change it and put sadness in that role with joy uh and i mean look what happened with the film it was, it's absolutely incredible so i think in terms of expecting a misfire i think you almost have to expect that they are going to work their damnedest to try and avoid that as much as possible and i think that's one of the, the really wonderful things about pixar as a studio yeah certainly sorry certainly. I, I went yeah, off on one a little bit then didn't i <laughs> <laughs> so i will say before we move on to our next next section which is our top three of 2020 soul this is the extent that i enjoyed soul it literally was in my top three until about two days before the end of the year, and then it was very, very slightly supplanted by one of the choices in my top in my top three. But it was very, very close, and I thought it was an absolutely, absolutely lovely film, and I would heartily recommend it to anybody. So, with that in mind, I've, I've dropped I've dropped the hint. We're now going to be talking our top threes of the year 2020. So, as you may have heard on the last podcast, I went through some of my highlights for what was, I guess, a limited year, but I still managed to find a few things that I enjoyed, and I hope you enjoyed listening to that podcast. But now we're going to open it up to the floor, and between the three of us, we're each going to give our top three for the year. Now, I'm vaguely aware that I've kind of stood on my soapbox and waxed lyrical for the last few minutes, so which of you fine gentlemen would like to go through there? Top three of the year first. Chris, would you would you like to you go first, sir? Yeah. I'll okay. go through the door first. Fab. Excellent. Yeah. Um I, and these are in no particular order. Uh, I'm not gonna spend a, a bunch of time on them. But my pick of of this year, it's hard because everything <laughs> feels like it's so morphed into twenty nineteen as well, of like when did things <laughs> come out? Uh so my first pick is uh, uh Da Five Bloods, the Spike Lee film which was June of 2020, if I'm not mistaken. You are very, very correct. <laughs> and Spike Lee, who I always in- enjoy watching, it's all about the Vietnam War and people, you know, the battling forces of man and, and nature. And and it's funny that we talked about Chadwick Boseman. He te- technically is in it. 
and uh, it's yeah. it's ju- it's just really good. Um, again, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. I'm not doing reviews of stuff, but uh, I really enjoyed it, and I think everyone should watch it. I concur, man. I think that that, that would have that possibly would have been in mine, but uh, yeah, I certainly enjoyed it probably as much as you. It was very very close to being in mine, and uh, yeah, I spoke about it at length in the last yes, podcast. Indeed. So uh, I think that's a hearty recommendation from all three of us indeed. there. And it, good yeah, choice. It was <laughs> it was it was so so good, and so much going on in there. Uh, and absolutely brilliant performances all around. Excellent, a great choice, Christopher. Thank you. And um, what would you what would you pick next? Um, okay, I'm trying to think of like what order to do these in. Not that it really matters, but I think my next one um, to be as an in between is the third instalment of the Bill and Ted franchise. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> um, Bill and Ted face the music. I am slightly. I have a. Uh, I'm slightly biased because uh, I hope I hope he doesn't mind me calling him this, but my friend is in it, and I watched it not purely for nostalgic purposes because I adore the first two Bill and Ted's. Um, the second one goes insane, but we we can talk about Station another time. <laughs> um, this one this one is 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 really about. It's about family when it comes down to it. It comes comes down to the the offspring of Bill and Ted and them dealing with stuff with their marriage. You've got Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter reviving their roles again, and it's 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 really good. It's just really good. Um, I just think that it's it's fun. Again, not a movie that pretends to be more than it is, but it's really clever at the same time. There's a lovely little moment of respect to George Carlin, who passed obviously before this film came out, and he was instrumental to the first two films and so yeah i mean there's to do with the future it's to do with time travel doesn't always make sense you get historical figures um <laughs> this time it's not to do with a paper that they have to write it, it's to do with the music that was supposed to unite the the universe technically and so yeah it's uh it's 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 a fun it's a fun movie i got to the end there's a lovely bit at the end which I'm not going to ruin or anything. There's a lovely bit at the end which really sort of reflects on the entire world. And I don't know how they, they kind of did it. They must have sent out something to a bunch of people. And you get to see you get to see fans. You get to see people who love Bill and Ted. They, um, they did. I did. Only slightly angry that I wasn't invited. <laughs> that was a, a competition, uh, apparently, <gasps> that was sent out for the Guinness World Record for the amount of people doing air guitar at any one time. Oh, it was so good. And they, they have, Bill and Ted Face the Music holds the world record for the most amount of people doing air guitar at any one time. That's amazing. That's, amazing. That's absolutely brilliant. There's some great cameos in it as well, some some famous cameos uh, that, that pop up in those, in those end credit scenes. Because um, that, that is the point, that this piece of music is written by Bill and Ted on, on, a, on a little flash drive um, without, without giving anything away. Um, and Death comes back, and he's always fun. Uh, it's I just I, I kind of gush about Bill and Ted. It was part of my. It's another reason why I love Doctor <laughs> Who as well. It's, it's maybe it's just telephone boxes. Maybe I love telephone boxes. Maybe that's, that's <laughs> the thing I liked about it. I, all um, the good ideas in Bill and Ted's excellent adventure about time travel and historical figures and all of the things about kind of going to heaven, hell, and all that kind of stuff. It seemed to be a mishmash of all of the best parts of excellent adventure and bogus journey in a very kind of like respectful way. I think I, I loved it too. Yes. In fact, I might even say well, this is this is tough because it's going against the grain of of classic sort of cult films. But I, I, I maybe I liked Face the Music more than the second. Wow. One. Okay. Well, it was certainly it was certainly um, more in tune tonally with the first one. I think. Definitely, definitely. And um, the two girls who play uh, the 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 kids of Bill and Ted um, do an excellent job. Yeah, spot on. <laughs> um, 
Oh, it's so good. Uh, the girl that plays um, Ted's uh, Theodore Logan. Um, so that's uh, Samara Weaving from. Is that uh, who it is? Yeah, from uh, Ready or Not. She's she. I mean, she's great. The things I've seen her in, she's been. Uh, yeah, she's been really good. Yeah, she's Bill's. Uh, she plays Bill's uh, daughter. Yeah, Bill's daughter. Yeah, and 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 Ted's daughter's got the the mannerisms of Keanu Reeves down so yeah. well. The funny thing about it was, was they didn't. They 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 made a point of not watching any of the Bill and Ted films before, and when they actually auditioned, they didn't do it. And then as uh, during the production, they kind of like just copied and mimicked and all that kind of stuff. That's incredible. She just sort of like <laughs> threw osmosis, and it's not. It doesn't feel forced at all. There's, um, there's, and they get to see some really fun musical historical figures rather than just regular historical figures in it. Too. There was a great, um, there's a great uh, Comic Con this year. They do doing all the Comic Con online stuff, and there was a great uh, Q and A hosted by Kevin Smith that I think is going to be on the Blu-ray DVD release when that comes out on the 25th of January. Ooh. So that might be worth buying and looking. Alternatively, you could just go oh, onto I'm... YouTube and look that up because they spoke a lot about that there too. Well, because they just, um, I was in Asda. Not fairly recent, before Christmas, because I was looking at presents, because obviously I was late um, getting presents. And um, I think they just released the first two. They've just remastered them or something. Now they're in 4K, and I was very tempted to they've buy re- them. They've remastered Excellent Adventure, but I can't for that. I, 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 I love Excellent Adventure. Maybe not Bogus but, yeah, Journey. Yeah, Bogus then. Journey's got there's a weird rights issue floating around with Bogus Journey, which means, unfortunately, there's no commentary or remastering for it. But I will say Bill and Ted's oh, Excellent Adventure is definitely worth the purchase just for there's two commentaries uh, on there that are, okay. that are worth okay. it anyway. And, but just seeing it in 4K, because I, I watched it on VHS until I wore it out. And I've had, I've had, I've oh, had yeah, a kind absolutely. of quite cheap DVD through the years to kind of tide me over whenever I wanted to watch it. But seeing it remastered, yeah. it looks and sounds amazing. So definitely worth picking up. Oh, and we'll probably. Brilliant. Be oh, I part definitely. of the box set when that uh, when it's released on the twenty fifth. So yes, uh, so that's that's my second one. I'm looking um, forward to seeing that when it comes out because that's one that I missed. Good fun. Uh, not being able to go to the cinema this year, so, so yeah. it's only about te- only about I ten did. minutes long though, isn't it? <laughs> it's really, it's really <laughs> the amount that goes on in those ten minutes. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> uh, and my third is um, I- I'm thinking of ending things, the Charlie Kaufman film. And I know that it, it's 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 very. I mean, devices divisive is uh, feels like a strong word for just a film. Um, but there there are some people that that like it and some people that don't like it. It's it feels very fifty fifty. I think the the score is like fifty on on. I don't know if it's Rotten Tomatoes. Maybe it's IMDb. It's like half the people. And um, I I really enjoyed it. It's um it's one of those ones that you sort of have to let wash over you, possibly on multiple viewings. It's basically about a uh, a couple that goes to visit the parents of the boyfriend at a secluded farm and she starts to she starts to question things about herself and her family and 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 all sorts of stuff like this and especially him and uh and and his family and it's oh who is who is it it's J- uh, Jesse, Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons you got the two Jesses and Jesse <laughs> Plemons yeah two Jesses I know, Jesse it. Buckley um, is a, a amazing interview. I I would watch Jesse Buckley read the phone book yeah she she's absolutely brilliant and Jesse Plemons I was introduced to through Black Mirror yes what and what an episode what an episode of Black Mirror and and I was like okay this guy's good yeah this poor man's Matt um, Damon it was the U S <laughs> yeah yeah U S Callister, USS Callister, I think. Obviously, with the Black Mirror crazy twist yeah. in it, as always. Uh, he was brilliant. And then I saw him in Game Night. Oh, Game Night is a, such a treat. Which I was surprised at how, how much I liked that film he- as well. But his character is so dark. 
and he plays it so straight I, I, and it's amazing I think, sorry just to jump in with jesse plemons i think initially most people's introduction to him was the character in breaking bad because he played one of the characters in that and that character was as dark as any character had ever been on screen and i remember thinking oh my god i don't think this guy is going to be able to recover from this because this character is so heavy and i don't, th- I, I don't think and then seeing him in something like game night and everything you're like Okay, well, okay, we can do it. And then he must have an amazing agent because there was a moment in time when he was in absolutely everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, my God, okay, he's doing very well. Maybe he might actually, because people used to tease him about the whole kind of Matt Damon thing. And then it comes to a point where I think yeah. his output was actually not stronger uh, quality-wise, but certainly more kind of consistent than Matt Damon's. And I thought, okay, well, hats off to him. It's a little bit like Jonah Hill. When you look at him, you think to yourself, oh, well, with Seth Rogen around, there's not going to be a kind of like a gap in the market for him. To, and then before you know it, they've got a career bigger than that. Mm. In this film, he sort of pulls out a feeling of Philip Seymour Hoffman. I get that sort of inspiration vibe from him. But I, I enjoyed it. It's put down as a horror film. And I don't know if I don't know if that's fair to lump it in with the idea of a horror film. I know that's a very broad yeah, genre. That's, that's just um, people. That's that's Netflix or whatever's trying to categorize it. Yeah, it's, it's more, if anything, it's more psychological thriller. Dra- drama more than that is even better. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I think I'm probably going to watch it again in the next couple I, of weeks. I think the, because um, I wasn't as big a fan of it as, as yourself. Uh, it's because I, li- I love kind of, um, Charlie Kaufman films and I used to I love like being John Malkovich adaptation and I, mm-hmm. I was like rocking through terrific and everything and I noticed that I, I saw a remark about it and I think I kind of mentioned to be, uh, to you guys earlier um, before we started recording um, Netflix has got that wonderful thing they do where they give a director they give you know, producers a kind of here's your money do what you want there'll be no interference we just want whatever product you got it'll be great um, and I think that Charlie Kaufman is someone that does benefit from some kind of studio kind of interference <laughs> in that respect not so much interference but someone kind of regulating things to make things a little bit more yeah, kind of streamlined because i think was it cynic okay I, I, I always mispronounce it cynic donkey new york cynic donkey yeah that one there i think was yeah. that was the purest kaufman pre this and i remember thinking before i started watching it i hope this is more early kaufman than cynic Doc because cynic donkey new york kind of was was amazing but followed a very similar line to this where it starts off quite odd and then kind of and again this is i, I this is my, my opinion of it i kind of it, it goes a little bit off the rails towards the end but if you're with it you're definitely with it if you like unfiltered kaufman then this is about as kaufman as a kaufman film could be and i think that some people will uh, rejoice in that and some people might find uh, that they don't really go with it and unfortunately maybe i wasn't in the mood that day for it um i didn't go with it yeah it's it's sort of one of those things that as i said it's 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 definitely one that you sort of have to let wash over you possibly with a couple of viewings um but it really it doesn't seem like he cared too much about the idea of an um a linear linear narrative is not the right word just in terms of don't know how i could st- Say that it has a plot, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's, it's like his head's been sort of like, it's just all spewed out onto paper. And I think that's sometimes the, the issue I, with Kaufman is that I can't tell the difference between what it basically, if I don't understand it, then I assume that it's my fault when in fact it may be his. It might not be, <laughs> yeah. It's not, because it, it's interesting because you follow the story of, of this character. And if you. I think on the second time that I watched it, I had a moment of going, okay, if I see it from literally this point of view, the unraveling of stuff that's going on in her head, I can justify some of the stuff that I think is weird. Yeah. 
So that's without giving anything away. That is that is my top three. Yeah, brilliant. It'd be um, a good top three. I mean, that the last one as well. As much as I dislike it, I admire it, and it's certainly worth a look. I'd recommend anyone watch it. There you go. Excellent. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what it's all about, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. I will never. That's the thing about me as well. Is even if I dislike, I will never. I will never recommend someone off a film. And it's that kind of thing where I think that cultural capital is as good. And if you don't enjoy a film, you can get sometimes as much from it as if you do. Yeah. Absolutely. As we have said many times before. Indeed. I mean. No one really goes out of their way to make a bad no. film. No. <laughs> so everything's got some form of merit to yes, it. Yes, indeed. So, Kev, are you ready to... Do you know what? I'm right I'm right up to the wire. I'm still looking at my list here, just taking and subtracting and moving stuff around and everything like that. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be do, a, li- do, a little bit quicker because a lot of my films are, have been spoken about at length anyway over the course of the year or even on this podcast. So this will be a lot quicker, I think, with it. So... In no particular order, I'm going to start with Tenet. Okay. Tenet is in my top three of the year. Why? It could be the wonderful cinema experiences I saw. Well, being able to go back to the cinema, the IMAX in particular, and seeing that. I like Christopher Nolan. Um, I'm aware of all the issues with it, the sound issues, and all the problems people had with it. Did it make sense? Plot holes, all that kind of stuff. But I've seen that film... Um, I, I've seen that. I've revisited that film more than I have most other films this year, with oddly exception of Bombshell. And... Um, I, and... I think there's so much in it. It's so textured, so layered. There's so much in it. And I think that um, whenever, like with Quentin Tarantino, in my opinion, whenever there's a new Christopher Nolan film to come out, it's always an exciting time. Um, so I don't think there's anything else anyone can say about Tenet because it's been said, positive and negative, but it was certainly a highlight of my cinematic year. Uh, you say that, Kev, but I'm going to have a good go at that in a minute. <laughs> okay, dokie, lovely. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, my next one. Now, this was close because I was going to put a film called Proxima, which was uh, underrated uh, in, and I'd like to, um, you know, people to go and check that out. That's just popped up on uh, Netflix. Wonderful science fiction film. Ooh. Deals with the same the same issues that uh, Midnight Sky did in a, in a very roundabout kind of way, but probably a little bit more straightforward. But I'm not going for Proxima. I'm going for Saint Maud. Now, St. Maud was a kind of, I mean, probably goes well into the realms of horror. Um, and because of the way um, everything happened in relation to cinema and everything this year, it got a wider release uh, and a more, um, I think it stayed in cinemas a lot longer than it was uh, initially than it initially would have done. Um, and I, I think with St. Maud, the shout out to Morford Clark. Um, who played Maud in St. Maud. Um, and I'll tell you why. She, in my opinion, is one of the best up-and-coming actresses going. And when I bring you to my third um, film, she's also in that, uh, in a very, very different role. And I didn't, wouldn't have initially thought, to be honest, when I saw her in this other film earlier on in the year, that she'd be able to carry a film like this, especially tonally and with the subject matter. So St. Maud, I think a lot of people have kind of like heard about it, but not really seen it. I would say seek it out. You will hopefully be able to find it on demand somewhere now. I think maybe on Curzon. I- don't, uh, I don't think it's out there because I have been looking for it. Uh, all right, at the moment, okay. I've not been able to track it down, uh, but hopefully that will change very shortly. But I believe <laughs> that it's getting a streaming and Blu-ray release in March. Wonderful. It's scary. It's scary. It's not for everybody by a long shot. It's essentially about a nurse who becomes kind of obsessed with saving the soul of a, um, a lady that she's looking after, uh, that she's a patient, uh, her patient. Um, and it's kind of it's claustrophobic. It's scary. It's like, you know, lots of stuff to interpret will benefit from repeat, uh, repeat viewings. I didn't like it. Horror is my one of my least favorite genres. And I didn't think I was going to like it. And then I went in and I was totally kind of blown away by it. And that was a film I think I I saw the day before we went into the second um, or before cinemas closed for the second time. 
So uh, St. Maud, if you can catch that, I would certainly recommend it. And I wouldn't be the uh, the only person to recommend that this year. And then finally, I'm going to stick with Morford Clark and I'm going to go into the wonderful world of the personal history of David Copperfield. My third ah. film of the year with, uh, again, wonderful Morford Clark. But uh, yeah, uh, Armando Iannucci, absolutely amazing, written and directed. I remember when Armando Iannucci was doing kind of like uh, around in the loop time. Um, just prior to the death of Stalin. And he was saying, oh, my next project's going to be um, a film about David Copperfield. And I remember thinking, wow, I wonder how that's going to work. Um, but what a cast, an amazing cast. Peter yeah. Capaldi, Gwendolyn Christie, as aforementioned Morphe Clark, Daisy May Cooper, all of those guys. I'm just kind of reeling them off now. But the essentially Dev Patel uh, in the main role, it's wonderful. And it's not – a lot of people with Amanda Iannucci, with his cutting satire, especially after coming off the quite controversial death of Stalin, a lot of people kind of perceive him as kind of like there's a – a kind of there's a, in the satirical bite sometimes there's quite a mean spiritedness about things well this completely blows that out of the water this is a wonderful lovely film to be enjoyed on many levels can be enjoyed as family or can be enjoyed by people that love the kind of like the biting satire of um your you know in the loops and uh De- deaths of stalin but uh it was certainly one of the highlights of the year very early doors because i think this was january i don't think yeah. the u.s got it until the back end of the year but um i would hope that it would appear um during awards season i certainly think it will with the baftas um but yeah if it, unless it already has i mean it didn't last baftas was it no or was it i don't know it's like it, it opened over here prior to the baftas yeah didn't it it last did yes. year. so so i think it may so either way it should get some recognition Hopefully, screenplay-wise, especially um, from the Academy Awards, come April, if nothing else is released between now and then. Uh, but yeah, so there we go. So that was the yeah the personal history of David Copperfield, Saint Maud, and Tenet. I have to hold my hand up. I think uh, personal history of David Copperfield was a little bit of an oversight on one of the films that I've enjoyed this year that I missed off of my list because it, it it it's it's lovely. It's such a nice sort of warm film. Uh, just funny you should be talking about. Armando Iannucci and The Death of Stalin because uh, that was the last film I watched a couple of days ago uh, and still an absolutely fabulous film. I think I've, I I probably enjoyed it more the second time than I did the first time. Genuinely hilarious at points. Really, like you say, dark and quite um, uh, quite unpleasant in some of the things that go on in it. But I think that's where some of the effectiveness of the film really comes across is the fact that that you've got this surface ridiculousness but then particularly from Simon Russell Beale as Barrier oh god just such black heartedness in it all and yeah find finding comedy in in such a thing is is a hard <laughs> hard task but he managed it and managed it with a plum so uh, so yeah great great list there Kev um, thank you i'm going to i'm going to go in with mine now and i'm going to lead off with the same one that Kev did uh, but I'm going to talk a little bit more length about it because finally um, I, I got to see Tenet uh, just before the new year, uh, just squeaked it in under the under the radar. And I'll be honest with you because I've come to Tenet having not had the big screen experience, having seen a lot of the backlash, but remarkably not had any element of the film spoiled. I think that's one thing that has been really positive that people have kind of respected the the spoilers. I knew very little about how the ebb and flow of the film would go while I was watching it. And what I found was that it I, I, I spent large proportions of the film sort of laughing to myself about how bonkers it was, 
and what the hell is going on but just being propelled along with it that it goes at such a pace and with such a great script and the, the one thing I felt and, and this this is one thing that Kev sort of touched on is with with the plot holes and with with the complexities I felt like all the information that I needed was in there at some point but the rate that people were talking and the, the rate that the dialogue would come they would drop a, a point they would drop a plot point and they would leave it and it would just be you it would be on you to be able to pick that out of the of the dialogue and pick that out of the conversation i thought the action was fantastic i thought it looked amazing and this was on a big screen uh, a, a big a big tv screen with a decent sound system so i didn't apart from one sequence where it was a little bit hard to hear some of the dialogue i for the most part found the dialogue balance a lot better and actually didn't struggle uh through most of it and a, a word for a word for the cast as well because uh, john david washington was brilliant and further evidence that he's going to be a massive star him and uh i know me and kev had a little bit of a text exchange afterwards and uh, both acknowledged the great bromance between him and robert pattinson in the film i think they uh they played a great double act together really really good and kenneth branner what an absolutely terrifying villain he was uh, nasty piece of work he was a really nasty piece of work and all the more effective for it i think i haven't seen him do anything like that probably ever um anything so venomous and it was really really effective and i i look forward to to seeing it again uh, i just yeah i i just had an absolute blast with it and look forward to picking out more uh, more and more as I watch it, more and more, because I will go back and see it again. So that was the film that pushed Soul just out of my top three. The other two have been in my top top two for kind of the rest of the year. The first of which was uh, Sam Mendes' 1917. I was uh, just a, a huge fan of it. I thought that on a technical level, uh, I, I love things that do kind of fun or funky technical things and uh, the whole concept of trying to tell the story in as much one flowing shot as possible was was really effective i thought the story the kind of the intimacy of the story was was great i thought the two leads i thought uh, george mccain dean charles chapman as the two tommies off to deliver the message were, were great uh, particularly george mckay and yeah it was beautiful absolutely stunning to look at there's the sequence about two-thirds of the way through the film uh with the the village on fire and the, the chase through the village just had uh, taking place in sort of light and shadow was just so effectively shot and there's the the famous shot in the trailer of the running across no man's land and seeing that in an IMAX cinema for the first time with the huge system and the amazing visuals it was just a real experience and the, the music as well it was yeah I, I mean it, as, as a pure cinematic experience that's what I'm excited to go back and see when we can go back again that that's what it's all about for me is is captivating story told with technical flair and just grace and beauty like that was i just i thought it was great and my final one and there has been a lot said about this film this year but i've not seen anything that's managed to top it and that's uh bong joon ho's parasite uh reviewed way back in our first episode 
and I rewatched it on New Year's Eve. Uh, get, literally watched it over uh, into New Year's Day, and it's still just such a, a do I use the word fun experience? I, I, I kind of feel like it is, it, you know, it does so much within there. I think using the phrase uh, rug pull is is a really is a really <laughs> effective one. That the you know the the whole film just finds as many rugs to pull from under you as it possibly can. Just where you think it's going in one direction, the the changes are just fantastic. It's so tightly written. I think the performances across the board are great. And it again, there were points of in some of the kind of the, the deviousness of it and. It's just cheek. It's just blind cheek in the writing. I just, it just makes me, <laughs> it just makes me laugh. I think it's, it's such a, such a great film, uh, and I would heartily recommend it to anybody. And I, I still got that, that little bit of a, a high from having felt like I watched something really special for a second time. So uh, that's my top three. It's Parasite, nineteen seventeen, and Tenet. I think three great, really well crafted films from three amazing directors yeah wonderful just as i just want to mention because i know in the last podcast you mentioned about your documentaries of the year which you said yes. that the beastie boys story yeah just like the, the live concert thing was worth it as well just another couple of documentaries one that was quite um prominent uh, early on in the year or maybe mid-year the social dilemma which i don't think was a particularly good documentary but the points it made seemed to resonate with a lot of people and a lot mm. of people were talking about it i don't know if you saw that that was on netflix yeah. um you don't know me which is um the documentary around what's essentially what how showgirls has become it's like you know it's taking its place in pop culture mm-hmm. um which is a very good documentary you think it's quite niche but you watch it and it's quite enjoyable and of course david attenborough life on our planet which got a small cinematic release that also appeared on netflix so i'd put those up there with your beastie boys story too oh fantastic thank you very much kev and so that wraps up our review of 2020 it's now time to look forward to uh, 2021 we take <laughs> we do this bit with a slight pinch of salt that uh, that these films are actually going to get a cinematic release this year although i probably wager that even if they don't get a cinematic release we will probably see them on premium streaming streaming before the end of the year so gentlemen what are you looking forward to this year well, I think a lot of uh, this talk about stuff that was initially going to come out this uh, last year in 2020 yes. uh, has come. So obviously, what was initially going to be March has now been moved to June. Was Ghostbusters Afterlife? Oh, now that that was. Um, I think it's a weird film, isn't it? Because that's kind of I. I'm still curious as to find out how that's going to work and if there's going to be the same kind of feel and tone and everything to it. So I was very interested in that. And it's odd to think now, like especially with that and maybe Top Gun Maverick, which is now moved to July. I think um, that both of those films of films that i'm kind of like i still don't believe that they've been made and yeah. it seems we're, it'd be it's <laughs> going to be weird to be the other side of those but then i did think that of bill and ted actually um and to a lesser mm. extent bad boys bad boys for life last year actually turned out to be the biggest <laughs> worldwide box office hit um wow. being really, i think that was number uh, number one tenet funnily enough which was supposed to be last year's biggest hit clocked in at 11 last year um so all of the films in the top mm. 10 last year were released prior to the lockdown or just at the back end, like Rise of Skywalker of 2019. Ah, interesting. Yeah, so it's weird, isn't it, when you think of those? So those are two that I'm. I don't know. I'm looking forward to. I'm. I am looking forward to them, but I don't see. I don't see life the other side of them. So maybe they'll just keep being moved. <laughs> a bit like a bit like Bond, maybe. Yes. Yeah. The the day that that actually gets released into a cinema, and, and I, I mean, I, I confess, I'm really curious and really looking forward to seeing seeing No Time to Die. 
I think uh, I've sort of intermittently enjoyed the Daniel Craig ones, but I, I always think they're they're worth a watch and they're worth seeking out. And uh, I think it, it seems weird that it's probably going to have been a good 18 months plus since we had the first trailer for No Time to Die. Yeah, and we've had many trailers since. And to yeah. be honest, I feel like I've seen the f- in a weird way. It feels like I've seen the film. The thing about Tenet when they get well, they, they didn't really move Tenet, but the thing when that was coming, there was so it was played so close to the chest, wasn't it? Yeah. I think with no time to die, I I would be very surprised if there are any surprises left. Yeah, I confess I have seen kind of that first main trailer uh, where we get to see uh, the Rami Malek character, the Savin character for the first time and i've seen it two or three times unlike some trailers where i feel like i've i've overseen them particularly when i was going to the cinema and you'd get them before every showing thankfully i don't feel like i've overdone it with the no time to die trailer so i yeah the the last trailer they released i think they released it in the especially when i went to see tenet they released it in the like almost like hey guys we you know you were getting excited about that here's a load of new information for you right. so i know that and if, ironically i think i'm there's going to be stuff that i've known and and forgotten that I'm going to be surprised about yeah. when, when, when I watch it. So that's funny as well, because it's kind of been so long coming, I'm actually starting to think, do I know that or do I not? Did that happen? I don't know. And they could probably start doing the first round of trailers again and we'll think it's a new trailer. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. um, in terms of other things moved from last year, I, there's there's two that I'm very, very much looking forward to. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to A Quiet Place 2. We were we were so close. Mm-hmm. We were just on the cusp of, of of getting it, and and then rightfully it was pulled. Uh, but the first film is just one of the best pure cinema experiences I've had. Uh, the the concept and the execution, and there there's a little bit of reticence around how are they going to effectively carry the story on, and is it going to be as effective now? They've kind of blown the main surprise, but. Yeah, I, I, I'm still really, uh, you know, still really looking forward to it. And I think the, the trailers look, look decent. So I'm hoping we get a good one out of that. And the it other is, one. Yeah, both, both a prequel and a sequel. Both, that one, yeah. yeah. The other one, which we should have had last month, uh, but has been moved to October, which we touched on previously, is Denis Villeneuve's Dune, which, which has mm. a stellar cast and a trailer. That I don't, I don't think it's too far to say is just art. It just looks beautiful. It's very pretty. It's yeah. very pretty, and you know, a cast that includes Timothy Chalamet, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Dave Bautista, Zendaya, probably more people that I've I've missed out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what a what a cast and what an undertaking. But I'm, yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be as good as good as his previous work certainly so yeah i'm really looking forward to that when it comes out in october chris yes uh, anything that you're particularly looking forward to i i have a couple things but obviously we're in that position of like oh that they're expected to come out at around that time but maybe they won't um (laughs) one of them that's kind of expected okay i've got i think i've got three um i i enjoy the the kingsman series as as crazy as it is um and they've got sort of the prequel coming up next year, The King's Man. Yes. And I'm quite excited yeah. for that because it's a good, it's nonsense and I love it so much. And that was originally supposed to be Christmas of 2019, wasn't it? It was. Was well, yeah. it? So it was originally, yeah. it was originally Christmas 2019, then was moved to the February and then <gasps> then the September of this year and then shunted to, to back to, sorry, September of last year and then shunted to this year. I, you know what? I, I'll, 
I'm quite looking forward to that as well. I think the first Kingsman was uh, a bit of a breath of fresh air. Uh, not perfect, but great, great fun. I was, I, I, I was a big fan of it when it came out. I felt the second film lacked something, and I, I think at points I almost, almost went a little bit, uh, leaned a little bit too heavily into the unpleasant. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, uh, but I am looking forward to the King's Man. I think that looks like it could be a very different beast. So yeah, yeah no, that that's 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 a good shout. Okay, I've yeah. got two more. Um... And a, and a, and a runner-up, and I won't talk about them much. My runner-up is is Morbius because I just I, I love Spider-Man, so I like anything to do with Spider-Man. That's that's literally the only reason. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and then hopefully it's supposed to be December, so it might get pushed into 2022. Um, mm. Technically, the next Matrix movie is supposed to be coming out. Yes. Um, so yes, that I'm just curious to see how they tie that together and bring everyone back. Apparently, Neil Patrick Harris is in it, and that always makes me want to watch something that he's in. So <laughs> that's good. And then, um, weirdly enough, a documentary that I'm quite excited about next year um, from the workings of Peter Jackson, all about Beatles and about oh, them yeah. prepping to get ready for uh, releasing Let It Be. Yes, I I'd heard about. Have it. you seen on uh, Disney Plus? Have you seen the, the the little mini doc on that? No. On Disney Plus, they've got a because I, I think they might be releasing it on there if they're not going to release it if they don't if they can't release it elsewhere. Um, it's got like a little. They've basically shown some of the footage that he's done. You know, they kind of like they've gone back and he's recolorized it and <sighs> made it look good and all that kind of stuff. And they just show some of it and it looks. Uh, amazing! It looks like the like Apollo Eleven recently when it looks like it was filmed yesterday. Oh, that's amazing! Oh, I will wow. definitely have to check that out. So yeah, go and check that out. Tr- I think it's terrific. called Get Back for those that's who, right, yeah. who want to look it up. And I think yes. I think as well, Peter Jackson. Funnily enough, I think he's actually going to go back using the same um, technology and he's going to redo Bad Taste and Brain Dead. Wow! wow. Or, or Dead Alive, as it was known in the states, um, because they've never had Blu-ray releases on account of the fact that they're. Uh, um, that they look so poor, and he's, he's he, now he's like, well, I've got this. T- I'll go back and oh, do my old amazing. films and make them look nice and nice and new. So I think he's going to do that because I think he's like all of us this year. I think or last year he's had a lot of downtime, so he's like, oh, let's do that then. Talking about P- Peter Jackson adjacent stuff, what is happening? I know we're going off on tangents as we do. <laughs> um, what's happening with with the Lord of the Rings, the Amazon series? I believe it is fully cast, and I believe they oh. are looking to shoot. I personally, I I'm not 100% where they are up to with it, but I know that it's still, as far as I'm aware, an active project. So oh, something to keep good. an eye out for. Interesting. Yeah, I've heard interesting rumors about it because it's it's kind of uh, it's supposed to revolve around the first or second age of Middle Earth, which is technically before Lord of the Rings. Well, we'll see. There was an interview with um, Elijah Wood about it. Uh, about if he's going to reprise his role, and obviously he can't talk about it, nor does probably not is the answer to that question <laughs> yeah. really. Um, but he did say, like, of course, I'd love to. Basically, I'd love to go back to New Zealand and work there because <laughs> I love it so much. Um, and he's he's a big fan, so he knows uh, he knows the books quite well. So yeah, uh, that was a very interesting tangent. Thank you. And You're just welcome. a little a little one thing, just going back to the films we're looking forward to next year. I'm actually looking forward to Promising Young Woman, which is the new Carrie Mulligan movie. Yes, um, I that love I, Mulligan. I, that I said, I think I mentioned this to you, Scott, and I got I had an invitation to a screening of it last January, like January 2020, that I didn't attend. 
and I so wish I had done because at that point it was going. I think it was due to be released in March anyway. Yeah. So it then got postponed, moved on, and since then I've been kind of like seeing the reviews of it. I've been reading up about it and all like that, and it seems to be something that's going to be quite. It's going to make. It's probably not going to be for everybody, but it looks like it's going to be if it's released properly. Um, quite a. Uh, uh, it's, it's going to be quite a big film in relation to like the, the impact that it might have. Yeah. Um. But I think I think it's been released on demand stateside, but we're due it in February. Um. And so that will be if cinemas are open by then. I'm hoping we'll get a cinematic release from it. Fingers crossed. Uh, but yes, yeah, so the the buzz around that has been incredibly strong. Uh, speaking of other uh, films that are coming up shortly that have got that strong, particularly Oscars buzz, and because uh, she's brilliant, it's something I'm looking forward to. Is uh, Nomadland which got really great uh, feedback from the London Film Festival. Frances McDormand uh, playing, uh, she's a woman basically living out of her own van. Uh, interestingly, uh, the director, Chloe Zhao, she has got two films out this year. So she's got this small indie film that's got Oscar buzz. And then towards the end of the year, uh, she's uh, directing The Eternals, uh, the new Marvel film. So oh, she's yeah. going from one extreme to the other, but Nomadland uh, is the one that I'm particularly looking forward to. I'm, I'm sort of curious about the Eternals, but uh, we'll wait till we see any uh, any footage of that first. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but haven't they already done the Eternals? No, I think you're thinking of the Inhumans. Oh, that's right. Yes, that that mess that happened. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, okay, not yes. not not well received. Uh, in terms of other stuff that I'm looking forward to, uh, we, we've got new Wes Anderson this year. So that's always good. So the French Dispatch, which was uh, originally I think due to be out last year, set in I think it's early 20th century Paris, and is about uh, the journalist working at the time and has a typically starry cast. Of course, <laughs> you've got Bill Murray and Owen Wilson both in there because it's a uh, because <laughs> it's a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> also, uh, Tilda Swinton, Adrian Brody, Benicio del Toro, Leah Sadu, uh, Jeffrey Wright, who I met at Houston Station and is very lovely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love telling that story. Um, and yeah, so it, and Francis McDormand again t- turning up, which is always positive. So uh, the, the trailer was out last year and it looks suitably Wes Anderson, uh, suitably quirky, but also looks like it could be a lot of fun. Uh, we're also going to be getting hopefully in april the return of one mr edgar wright with what looks to be again with no no sort of real footage out there but what's been written so far like basically serious edgar wright doing a straight horror starring anya taylor joy uh who seems to be popping up everywhere at the moment uh, but rightly so because she is uh, she is great and mm-hmm. uh, matt, matt smith and the final role for the amazing diana rig and yeah so that's that's due out in april so any new edgar wright's gonna be of interest to me and uh, especially if he's, he's going into the horror territory and then finally i think my uh, thing that i'm looking forward to is uh, the new mission impossible mission impossible 7 which i'm sure will have a catchy subtitle released towards the end of the year um, <laughs> which has been f- filmed back to back with eight it, it has yeah so it's gonna be a two film half. yeah it's going to be i imagine uh, finishing on a cliffhanger probably literally in tom cruise's uh, <laughs> tom cruise's case he will probably literally be hanging off of something before the end of the film but uh, yeah it's uh, you've got a lot of the the returning cast so uh, obviously tom cruise uh, simon pegg ving rames 
Rebecca Ferguson's coming back, as is Vanessa Kirby. But also we're uh, getting uh, new cast members as well. So Hayley Atwell uh, it will be joining the cast. And uh, yeah, uh, uh, written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie again. So there's going to be that consistency with the last couple of films. So hopefully they can maintain the high standard that Fallout and although I know it's not a Chris McQuarrie film, it was Brad Bird, but uh, the high bar that both uh, Fallout and Ghost Protocol sex, I think they're both absolutely cracking Mission Impossible films. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Good times. Good times indeed. And so that wraps that bit up. Uh, so we're very much looking forward to those films in 2021. That's not an exhaustive list. There are tons of other things out there that we're really looking forward to. Uh, but that just gives a little taste of the, the different things that we're looking after. And so it is now time for our pitch battle. Lovely. That was hmm. that was magnificent. I was very, very pleased Prob- with that. Probably peaked there a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's time for pitch battle. So if you've not heard the Monkey See Monkey Review podcast before, well, it's not just me sat on my own yammering away. We do a little thing called pitch battle where we have five minutes to come up with a pitch for a film, the catch is we have to use a predetermined actor, item, and genre and build our pitch around that. Now, this week we have been given our pitch, our items, by the wonderful Mr. Craig Woodfield. Now, Craig is actually a, an absentee member of the MSMR family and will be joining us hopefully for a podcast soon. Yay! So, Craig, we look forward to you joining us very, very soon. Gentlemen, do you have your pens ready? I do. do. So, our actor for this week is Dennis Waterman. Okay. Our item is a carafe of red wine. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And our genre is a musical. Okay. Gentlemen, we have five minutes for you, dear listeners. We'll be back in a couple of seconds. Okay. Who would like to go first? I I will go first this time, if that's all right with you chaps. That's absolutely fine with me. (laughs) Okie dokie, here we go then. So this is Dennis Waterman, Carafe of Wine, musical. Here we go. Dennis Waterman returns to the big screen in a new musical. New, but featuring all his old classics. I could be so good for you. What are we gonna get for our indoors? New tricks. New tricks. <laughs> Wasn't love strong enough? And I will glide. I will glide. Nothing at all. For their pleasure. And all the other ones that you sort of remember from old telly shows. <laughs> but now he's going to be performing them for you in IMAX. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's smoother than a carafe of wine. It is. <laughs> Dennis Waterman, in. You're having a carafe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're having a carafe. So I've got, got the pun thing there. Blimey, Love okay. It. And obviously I just looked up a load of Dennis Waterman songs, three of which I knew. Amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. Hmm. Do you know, he had, he had a load of albums. <laughs> he did. So many he albums. Did. He's actually probably more of a singer than he is a performer. <laughs> Actor, yeah. Right, would you mind if I went next? Absolutely. Archie has always dreamed of being a star on the West End musical, but never able to sing a note in tune. That is, until he drinks from a magical carafe of red wine that turns everything he says into beautiful song. Will this be his last shot to be a star, and will he be sober enough to remember it? Starring Dennis Waterman, 
with music by Dennis Waterman and lyrics by Dennis Waterman. I Cabernet Sauvignon good for you. He's amazing. It's almost good that I went first and referenced that, so that gag paid off better with Indeed. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kev. Right, uh, okay. <clears throat> the year is twelve oh two. A lonely man walks down the street, reflecting on his life, all the things he's done, all the problems he's faced. He hears the yell from a chambermaid from the cheese window, from the cheesemaker's window from above. He sees the maid, a gorgeous maid, love at first sight. Only one problem, he has nothing left to lose. As soon as he sees the wonderful amount of feces fall upon his face from the top-down window, he realizes what he must do. He must open a wine shop. Dennis Waterman, in. Would you like cheese with that wine? <laughs> I did like the idea of the cheese window in there. Thank you. I like. Yeah, I was like, she's she's got to be a maid, but she works for a cheesemaker shop, and she's also got to throw. Also, um, it's medieval times. If you couldn't guess. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the twelve oh two gave it away. Good. 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 And as Fantastic. yeah, as always, uh, people chime off in the comments below who wanna who wanna pitch battle. Kevin, you really just like running away with these recently. It's oh, thanks, man. I need to up my <laughs> game. That's why. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize that that was that was a a, a pleasure of a, uh, a of a trilogy there of uh, <laughs> of points. I suppose Dennis Waterman, Craft of Wine Musical. What's not so? Uh, what's <laughs> I thought that was. I thought that, I thought we all did rather well. There. And in, so in well my, done, in my quick five minute research i found out that pete waterman is related to dennis waterman dennis waterman's his brother i never knew that oh. i didn't know that oh there yeah. you go interesting fantastic musical family indeed so that brings us to our tracks of the trade now if you've not heard the podcast before uh, tracks of the trade is our rapidly growing spotify playlist of magnificent pieces of movie score uh, each week and uh, each episode we put forward our suggestions and they're added to the playlist so if you go on to spotify and you search for tracks of the trade uh the playlist is public you can follow it or you can just listen to it from your device and we hope you like it if there's any tracks that you would like to see featured in tracks of the trade please let us know via our social media channels which i will give you at the end of the episode in addition, uh, if you look on our social media channels, particularly our Instagram, we do have a uh, link to the Tracks of the Trade playlist on there. So, gentlemen, which of you would like to go first with our Tracks of the Trade this week? Chris, would you like to go first this time? Sure. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, my, my Track of the Trade this week is from the 1998 film Shakespeare in Love. Soundtrack written by Stephen Warbeck, and I, it's it's one of the first few tracks on on the album, and it's called Viola's Audition. Um, all of the tracks have a very sort of whimsical quality to them, and and sort of an orchestral swelling theme. I mean, it's all about love, so you've got a lot of strings involved. Um, but this is one of the ones that sort of takes a step back uh, and introduces you to a character that is um, paramount to the plot. Um, and it's uh, it's just lovely. The whole soundtrack is lovely. Um, the whole film is lovely. I love that film. Yeah. So so it's it's one it's one of the first couple tracks. It's called Viola's Audition, and it's from uh, Shakespeare in Love. Fabulous. Lovely. Kevin. 
Uh, Scott, well, I'm going to put, put this to you, Scott, and you can you can help me yeah. along with this one. So I'm yes. going to give, give you the track that I'm going to do, but it's basically whose whose version we're going to have. So back in okay. 1995, the wonderful Mark Mancina, hot off the score for Speed, decided to score the Michael Bay debut Bad Boys, um, an amazing score. Uh, and uh, the theme from Bad Boys, which kind of has a Harold Faltermeyer style Axel F kind of sort of like recurring theme to it, but uh, with less synth. Um, was a, was a song that was basically kind of like one of the soundtrack. It, it was like one of the soundtracks I listened to consistently when I was in my teens because I loved the film and uh, I loved the score particularly, particularly Mark Mancina's theme from Bad Boys. Um, Bad Boys Two, which opened in two thousand and three, uh, apparently Michael Bay and Mark Mancina fell out, uh, so Mark Mancina was nowhere to be seen when Bad Boys Two came around. But last year, the biggest film of last year, uh, as we discussed earlier, twenty twenty, Bad Boys for Life opened, and with it came Lawn. Balfoy with respect to the original Mark Mancina theme bought it back so what there are there are two versions that exist of this uh, in the ether one of them is Mark Mancina's original theme from Bad Boys and one is Lorne Balfoy's basically orchestral big kind of like choir version of theme from Bad Boys which one should I have I have a small preference in due deference to Mark Mancina. He laid the he laid the foundations, but I've got to say the Bad Boys for Life one is an absolute cracker. It is epic, isn't it? And it it's, is. It's, 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 I think Bad Boys, the, th- the original thing from Bad Boys, has got everything. It's got the kind of like steel drums. It's got the kind of like thing, and it's got everything that kind of is very much like, hey, it's the mid nineties. Listen to it's the steamy streets of Miami. There it is. Whereas I think Bad Boys for Life is a little bit more like, hey, you know what? We're a big budget film now. <laughs> we've got a few. <laughs> we've got a few more million dollars behind us, but we're not as overblown as our sequel. Here we are, Bad Boys for Life. So I think probably, I mean, as far as Spotify, you'd probably be able to find the Lorne Balfoy version over the yeah. Mark Mencina. But I would recommend whichever version you put up and i'll leave it to you that uh, everyone else seek out the other version as well the original is terrific uh, but the orchestral one um recently is great too i'll tell you what we'll do What's we're going to put them we're going to put them both on there oh for reals for reals happy new year indeed thank you scott happy new year indeed no that that's that's fine so people can compare and contrast and if they prefer one over the other they can listen to that one. Oh, and let us know in the comments as well that'd be good i'd like to know which one people prefer and i'm gonna round this off with an appropriate choice for uh, uh, Tracks of the Trade, or my particular choice this week, is from sorry, 2020's Soul, the hey. Pixar movie. Uh, and it's the final piece of music that's used over the end credits, which is just, you know, it's, it's a film where music is kind of the, the, hub of, uh, the hub of the film, so it's appropriate that the, uh, the soundtrack is appropriately beautiful. And the final track is it's a really, really lovely lovely piece of music it's called just us it's by trent reznor and atticus ross and uh, it actually surprised me when i when i when i searched the track names and and the soundtrack afterwards that that it was uh, trent reznor of nine inch nails fame uh creating this gorgeous piece of music and uh yeah it's 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 absolutely fantastic there was a so, lot of so a lot of soul sounded score wise it had um sort of echoes of the social network to it didn't it mm. So yes. just, that kind of thing. So I was a bit like, oh, it sounds a bit social networky, and then looked at it and was like, oh yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah, which was done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So fantastic. So there are our choices. So it's Viola's audition, the theme from Bad Boys, nineteen ninety five and twenty twenty, and Soul, Just Us by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And so that brings us to the end of, and I think you can forgive us because it is our first full team 
podcast of 2021 and we had a lot to cover so it's been a bit of an epic so i am going to leave you very very quickly with a few little requests and things that you could do for us if you have enjoyed the podcast particularly if you found us via apple podcasts or podchaser is to leave us a review preferably a positive one that'd be nice i mean we'd we'd like to hear it but we just love feedback we'd love to know that you guys are listening to us and we want to know what you're thinking of the podcast and uh, you know any any feedback anything you'd like to hear us covering anything that you would like to know from us Uh, so please leave us a review and if you do leave us a review it actually does positively impact on how easy our podcast is to find so you know that that's always positive if you're on the social media uh, then we have a number of ways of getting in touch with us we have our twitter which is at msmrpod so follow us on there. In addition, we're also on Instagram. Uh, if you search on Instagram for Monkey C, Monkey Review, you'll be able to find us on there. In addition, we're also on Facebook. We have our Facebook group uh, where there are some uh, archive reviews that I've written from a long time ago. And it's a way of being able to find out when the new podcasts are out and if there's any exciting movie news. So if you search on Facebook for Monkey C, Monkey Review, Add yourself onto the group and I will approve it. Uh, just drop us a little note to say that you've heard of us from the podcast. That would be brilliant. Uh, in addition, we also have an email. So it's uh, msmrpod at gmail.com. Uh, if you have anything you want to let us know or you want to ask us or you just want to say hello, then by all means drop us an email. And I think that pretty much wraps it up for this week. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed it and we hope you come back to join us for some more movies throughout 2021. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, both Chris and Kev for joining us. Once again, I love these I love these group casts because it's just a really nice chance to get to chat to you guys, Aww. talk films. And uh, yeah, yeah it's, always, it's always a highlight of my time. So well, thank, thank you for you. having me. As mine. Fantastic. Well, as you know, you're part of the family now, so you're always welcome back anytime. And so on that, I'm going to bid you all a very, very uh, good day, whatever time of day it is you're listening to us. And we hope to hear you again for another Monkey See, Monkey Review podcast soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.